a couple of things to say about memory. Uh, in Buddhist meditation circles, it's kind of a joke. Um, we talk about Joseph Goldstein used to joke about how your memory gets worse and worse as um, your retreat life goes on. And it's not just because of the aging process. It It's because um, we're basically getting less attached. And one of the things that they know when they research memory, and I was part of the University of Washington, and we looked at memory in a study I was um, helping out with, and they found that memory um, has to do with our emotional charge a lot of times, you know, because we went, the more emotional we are about something, the more likely often we are to remember it, unless it's a really high stress, then sometimes we'll forget. But emotion and attachment and kind of a clinging actually makes memory more possible. So as we're letting go and we're just letting attached and our emotions are getting more chilled out, our memories are gonna get sort of worse. Um, <clears throat> so I guess that's sort of the downfall of meditation. You're less attached. That being said, you know, with um, any kind of aging, anything, whether you're young or old, you know, we're looking at impermanence and loss. And the big question as a practitioner is how are you meeting change and loss? How are you meeting it? Are you meeting it with fear? Are you meeting it with greed? You know, our life is really with these impermanent bodies. We're, we're having constant loss, whether we're young or old. And how are you meeting it? And are you doing the fist thing, right? The fighting or the hiding? Oh my God, I don't want to age, right? I talked to this woman at the gym the other day and I was like, wow, you look great. She goes, I've had 16 surgeries. I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> nope, <laughs> not for me. <laughs> so it was just like, um, yeah, open hand. Open hand. And it, the, the, the more you can relax within change, hearing loss, memory loss, uh, whatever it is, just some kind of disability, um, emotional dis disabling things, anxiety, the more you can relax within, the better it is. And it, it's really how we're meeting this. And remember, like I said, you know, switch to the view of awareness itself. It, does awareness itself have memory problems? No, I, I once asked Adyashanti about this on a retreat. I said, oh, what if I get dementia? What about all my practice? <laughs> what happens to our insights if we get dementia? It was, it was a really important question to me because my dad died of Alzheimer's disease. And he just laughed. Adyashanti looked at me and he said, your true nature never gets dementia. Awareness itself doesn't get dementia. Maybe your character does and your body does, but he said your true awareness can't be affected. So remembering that and like we, you know, the practice throughout the day is how does infinite awareness see this? How does love see this? It, it's not affected by memory problems. How would love see you forgetting somebody's name or some detail, love, love would just laugh. But our character gets bothered by it, doesn't it? 
So notice the difference between your character and the awareness itself around memory or loss or whatever it is. Why does doing more meditation often release sadness, tears, etc.? And does the process of awakening bring one to a place where there's less of that? Beautifully heartfelt question. Yes, meditation does release more sadness. Sometimes more joy too. We we feel things, we feel more happiness too. You know, we're 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 learning to feel more. Because normally we're just really shut down on that horizontal living automatic pilot. So meditation starts dropping us into the more felt sense, which means we're going to feel more sadness. We're going to feel life more and life is, there's so much here. And also, you know, the, the whole of the spiritual path is grief work. We're constantly seeing, oh, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not that. I'm not the body, I'm not the mind. So there is a sadness that gets released with everything. Uh, there's a poignant sadness because the whole of the spiritual path is grief work, is law, is just working with less and less and less and less loss. And the Buddha said at the end of his his journey, he said, I gained absolutely nothing from pure enlightenment because there was no one there to have anything. It just less and less and less. And does this process uh, bring one to a place where there's less sadness? Yes, for sure. There's just so, what, what happens is as some of those all that sadness and we often carry around a lot of sadness that we haven't dealt with as that sadness starts to release like you know the pressure on a coke bottle as you're releasing it just more the sadness releases naturally through the practice um the love starts to fill in the bottle so as that gas is coming out just you just start to fill up with more and more love and joy and connection and the oneness starts to take over. So as all the difficulties of um, separate living, seeing yourself as a separate being and with our histories and our traumas and we start to unburden that. And then the love of the oneness takes over, you know, just during the break, I was watching these little birds on my clothesline. They're just so happy, you know, it's like, you know, you and the bird, same thing, no difference. And it all just becomes part of this love of this one you. Asking myself, what is here now that doesn't die? And thinking about my mom who had dementia when she died. I find my connection to her is filtered through the experience of seeing her mind get so confused at the end. I hope this makes sense. Is there anything you can say to clarify this very confused question? <laughs> it's not confused. Um, again, um, you know, you, your mom's body, mind, character got confused at the end. Um, and that's painful to watch, 
and it certainly is painful to be a part of. That's why we're practicing. So we don't blend with the character. And even if we go into dementia, I'm not super clear how this would all work. You know, I know Ajashanti was confident. <laughs> Awareness doesn't ever get dementia. I mean, I guess we'll see. Um, there have been great teachers who've had dementia and strokes. Ajahn Chah had a stroke and he had stroke-related dementia and then a famous Zen teacher did too. But supposedly all the students that were with these teachers said that there was something else there that didn't have the dementia. So we're practicing now to know this you that's kind of alongside the body, the mind stuff, the pure awareness. Maybe alongside isn't the right word. Think about, again, the waves. Your mom was up in the waves when she died. Everybody has the ability to drop down. And I've seen with this with my friend who I'm helping in her dying process. Like, she's been up in the waves in fear and worry. I mean, everybody does. My friend who's a hospice nurse, he points out, he's like, Amita, your whole body is like a machine shutting down. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be like, oh, no problem, right? The machine is like dying. And he says that there's a lot that goes along with that. So you can be ah, those big waves dropping down just to being with that rhythm of breath, that open hand. That's why my friend did the, just let your hand open. Oh, now it's closed. Just let your hand open. You're trying to get that woman's body to relax. Then when she did, she passed. But, you know, as meditation students, if we can be at the very bottom, You know, in the end, I mean, my teacher says this, and I'm seeing this more and more. He says, Amita, nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. So in the end, when you're at the bottom of the ocean, you're seeing someone die, someone be born. There is this place, and it's a big jump for some of you maybe, um, but just keep it in mind that nothing's happening. it's all one thing who would die who would be born who would get dementia things are happening but but at the same time again the relative and absolute nothing's happening and sometimes when I get really freaked out I remember that just like in a dream so if you want an analogy when we're sleeping at night we have this huge dream People die, people get dementia, some monster's chasing you, there's a war, uh, there's a person you love. And then you wake up and you go, oh, I dreamed the whole thing, nothing happened, right? So it's possible this life can might be like that. The awareness is dreaming you, the big dream is dreaming you. Again, we're the AI of awareness. It's like then awareness just wakes up to, oh, nothing happened. I dreamed I was a Mita. Cool. Now, you know, in a dream, you don't want to have a nightmare. You 
do the best you can in the dream world. Who who would I, I wouldn't want, you know, when your dog's barking in a dream, you wake him or her up, right? Because they're distressed. So you don't just let suffering necessarily continue, even in the dream world. There's one more comment. Um, the woman who asked about her mom and dementia said, I could see my mom becoming infinite love as she also seemed to be getting more and more confused with her thinking. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. You got the character decaying and dissolving. And then at the same time, a movement towards something else, the infinite love coming up and taking over. And that's what it's doing with us in our practice too, is our character dissolving more and more, becoming less and less this and that and everything we identify with that um, infinite love or the unconditions coming from behind and just taking occupancy. So yes, you too will dissolve in infinite love. And, you know, the point of practice is hopefully we know that with without just one minute to go in our life. <laughs> we could have a couple of years to enjoy it. We don't have that one minute. Oh, I'm infinite love. Yay. And I had that happen. I helped a person die. And very last minute, she saw, oh, my God, it's all love. And she started saying that. And I was like, yeah, I, I kind of want to know that before the last minute. Not that it matters, right? But then she carries that into when it's done, it's done. I guess it doesn't matter, but yeah, it'd be fun to play with knowing yourself as infinite love with a couple years left in the body. I too have been quite ill for much of the year, and sometimes that lightness just isn't there. Yeah, it's all arising. In consciousness, you have reminded us the sun always shines. Yeah, and I don't ever want to um, downplay the poignancy of chron chronicity when something goes on and on. I mean, I had chronic severe depression for 20, 40 years almost, and, and just the drudgery and that, that mind, that poem I read about the mind being battered, relentlessly battered mind, helpless. And, you know, we have to bring tenderness to that. And it doesn't just take one time, Susan, it takes many, many times, you know, where that fist, and then we open the hand, and then that fist. And then we open the hand and then we just think we can't go on and doubt, right? Hiding. And then we open that hand. And it's such a poignant, it's really the process of love. So don't think about the end point. Think about the process of love as the opening and closing of the heart to everything. And, you know, whether it comes or not that we end up in just the pure consciousness and that freedom. You know, this is, this kind of movement is, is the most important thing. And this is the love too. It's not later how we meet when we're just 
down, down, down. One of my students called it face down in the ditch. How you meet that. And how we get up again, even though we get hit down with chronic illness, you just have that being pushed back down in the ditch. It's such an um, amazing process of courage and compassion and self-love and trust, you know. And, and that is, I would say that's it. Don't think later or more, just realize, just bringing that, just bringing that big heart to that. Yeah. Sending you big blessings, our thoughts and our metta and our loving kindnesses is with you and every single one of you who might be dealing with anything chronic. Yeah, it's um. I have Lyme's. I got Lyme's disease and from a Lyme tick when I lived at the meditation center. <laughs> um. So ironically, as a result of her retreat, and um. You know, it's a chronic illness that comes and goes, and you know, you learn to have a relationship with it. That ultimately, um, it has to become a loving relationship. Um, because if it's not, there's that fighting or hiding, it doesn't work. And that doesn't mean you always love it, but, um, you find your peace with it. That's the key to find your peace with it, whether it's depression, Lyme's disease, long-term, uh, COVID. Uh, a difficult person in your life it's finding your peace or you yourself a lot of us are not can't find peace with ourselves the practice helps us find peace with everything <laughs>